Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Today we're in the second week of our sermon series for Lent, Behind Closed Doors, where we're examining our hidden motives as we move together through the Sermon on the Mount. So today we're looking at Matthew 6, 5 to 15, where Jesus challenges us to consider our hidden motives for praying. What is really going on in our hearts when we go to prayer? Why do we pray? I was first taught to pray while lying in bed. I remember my mother kneeling at my bedside each night once I was between the sheets and then reciting the Lord's Prayer with me or perhaps praying for their family. Anyone else have a similar experience? Yeah, well... I've since lost that habit of always ending the day in prayer, which is uh, not so good. Well, I was then taught to pray while kneeling in church. It was a liturgical service with the Church of England, so I joined in the Lord's Prayer and other congregational prayers that I got to know or read from the prayer book. One motivation in those days was, I suppose, to confess conform to what was expected of me. But sometimes at least I was aware of messaging God. But I'm sure there were many occasions where my mind was wandering elsewhere. Later I learned to pray differently again. When I came to, I was confronted with the gospel and um, came to Jesus for forgiveness submitted to him as my Lord, and there was a quite different awareness of approaching God then, a really much more intense time. And my private times of prayer and scripture reading became very special daily times, when my main motivation was definitely to enter the presence of God. I also learned at this time to pray in different ways in public. First, with the one who was discipling me, then in small groups. And eventually I was to find myself leading a whole congregation in prayer. But despite all my years of praying, I find I'm still in danger of being pulled away from deep prayer by a wrong motivation, such as the three that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. He talks about the trap when praying in public, of praying to impress those who hear rather than praying to engage God. He then talks about the trap of thinking that a long, detailed, or repetitive prayer, whether in private or in public, will persuade God to listen. And he also talks about the trap of seeking forgiveness from God while ignoring the need for us to similarly forgive others who have hurt us in the past. 
So let's read Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For, said Jesus, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we come to the first hidden motivation for prayer, to impress others. That's how Jesus started in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, I personally don't go and pray on street corners, and I doubt if anyone here does. We have a very different culture from the one that Jesus was in. But we might pray in some special kind of way when praying with another person, or when in a group, or when standing up in a church worship time to pray. Or we might pray regularly with other people, but rarely on our own. The truth is, the approval of others is a powerful, powerful motivation. It just feels so good when people say, I really enjoy it when you pray. Or, you really know how to pray. Or, I really enjoy our times of prayer together. Or even when we just sense that others are wholeheartedly with us uh, when we pray in their presence. So all that messes with our reason for praying. And when that's messed up, it changes God's response. And that's why Jesus tells us to go and pray privately, out of the sight and hearing of others except for God. And then God hears. And says Jesus, he will reward us. How about Jesus? What was his prayer life like? Well, the Gospels, especially Luke's Gospel, describe a man whose life was full of prayer. Even though I sometimes wonder whether he really needed to pray at all. But he was full and many times he prayed on his own. In Luke 5, 16, we're told this. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That must have been quite something for his followers to see that, and some of them, I'm sure, followed his example. 
But here are some specifics, some specific examples of Jesus. In Mark 1.35, Jesus um, had just had a hectic day. He was staying at Peter's house, his, one of his disciples. He went there after synagogue. And he was asked if he'd hail Peter's, heal Peter's mother because she was sick with a fever. So he did, and the word got out. And the result was, all that evening, uh, people were coming to Jesus to, for healing. And so, what's interesting is, the next morning, when the rest of his disciples were probably still asleep, he went out to a lonely place, and uh, hours later, people found him there, praying. Luke 6.12 tells of a different time. He went up onto a mountain, we're told to pray, and he prayed all night. And then, in the morning, he called his disciples to them and chose 12 to be sent out to be his apostles. So he was praying, I don't know, praying for guidance maybe. Luke twenty-two forty-two. That's in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before he was being killed. He went with his disciples to the garden. Then he went aside from them and he knelt down and prayed. So those are some of the times he prayed alone that we know of. Other times we're told that he prayed in the presence of his disciples. In Luke 9.28, he went up on a mountain to pray uh, with the inner three disciples and was praying not far from them when he was transformed. And that was a transfiguration, a fascinating story. In Luke 20, sorry, in Luke 11.1, 1, he was praying with his disciples nearby and after they had heard him pray, one of them said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. He taught them the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus often prayed in private, but often also in public. He obviously was not opposed to public prayer. And there is something special, I, a lot of you will agree, when uh, we gather together for prayer. And there are lots of examples. Acts 13 tells us about the first organized missionary venture of the early church that was born in a time of prayer and fasting when the leaders of the church in Antioch were gathered together. Many of the historical church renewals were also born out of a prayer gathering or regular prayer meetings. So his teaching in Matthew 6 then isn't meant to forbid public prayer, but rather just to warn us that we are prone when praying in public to use wrong motives, to be driven by wrong motives. And we just need to be careful in such situations. Is that a factor with you? Uh, do you feel sense a need to work on your private prayer life? If so, perhaps Lent is a good time to think about doing that and just giving up every day for the rest of Lent, something that you do every day that takes a few minutes out of your time. You know, browsing the news, Facebook, buy and sell, TikTok, going for a walk, 
Whatever it is you do, something that you do every day that you really don't need to, replace it with prayer, private prayer. And we can be sure then that our Father is going to reward us. That's what Jesus says. And that sounds like better results than we get from anything else we spend our discretionary time with doing. That's just a suggestion. God's speaking to you. Okay, the second hidden motivation for prayer, to make God listen. This is what Jesus said in verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Is that an issue for you? You pray, but you're not really sure God has heard, and because you're not sure, you work at it a bit more. You might pray louder. You might play long, pray long. You might use some formula of some kind. I don't know. But long prayers are not more effective than short ones. Jesus makes that clear that God hears right when we first speak. In fact, he knows our needs even before we pray. So it seems that making the request is indeed important, but making the prayer long is not. Mantras of various kinds, formulas, or repetitions, they're not helpful. What's helpful is thoughtful, communicative prayer. So perhaps for some of us, the need is to really make our prayer more thoughtful and communicative. Giving up, not concentrating so much on the length of the time we pray, the formulas we use, but uh, I'm not sure, just to get down to simple praying. It's, it's interesting that the example prayer that Jesus gives, the Lord's Prayer is in fact very simple. If you look at it, it's just praying for God's honor, praying for his kingdom, and praying for his will to be done. Then praying for our food, our forgiveness, and our desire to be free from evil. We can fill that outline out with details if we wish in our own personal life, but uh, prayer life. But if it will help us calm our nerves, then we can do it. But God knows the details anyway. Long prayers can't be bad in themselves because Jesus showed that very clearly. He he prayed all night at least two occasions. Those are the two we knew of. There must have been many more. And we're given an example of one of his prayers in the Gospel of John. The whole of chapter 17 is an amazing prayer. Are you familiar with that? First, he prays for the 12 apostles. Then he prays for those who had come to faith through them. Sorry, first he prays for himself. Then he prays for his 12 apostles. And then he prays for those who come to faith through them. And that includes us. So it is a long prayer, but it's free of any babbling, any mindless, repetitive, or formula prayers. They're not there. Things that occupy our tongue, but not our mind. That's the second challenge. The third hidden motivation that Jesus talks about, or 
it's not really so much as a motivation for prayer, it's a hidden hindrance to effective prayer. And Jesus says that's a heart that doesn't forgive. And the interesting thing is that Jesus presents this problem twice to emphasize the seriousness of it. First, within the Lord's Prayer, that phrase we all know, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives a little commentary on that phrase. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know if that teaching of Jesus shocks you the way it shocks me. It seems to shock me every time I read it. Because we're so used to the idea of a loving God who graciously, I know, overlooks our sins. And when we come to him, he freely forgives. He freely forgives. He freely blesses. And this runs contrary to that. What we thought is close to the truth, but it's a little bit of a distortion. Our sins actually shock God. They hurt him. They sent his son, Jesus, to his death, crying and pleading for relief. So God does indeed forgive freely those who are penitent. But, you know, he brought up this issue another time. Do you remember the parable Jesus Jesus told (coughs) about uh, a king and a servant the king forgave the servant, and uh, but the servant wasn't so forgiving. Let's, let's just read that. That's in Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. Because it fits right in here with this topic. Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debts. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him cancel the debts, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debts. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant 
just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus finished that parable by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So, <clears throat> so there we are, the third, at least the third time that Jesus brings up this issue of us needing to, be f- to forgive others if we expect God to forgive us. If we're truly penitent and understand just the forgiveness that Jesus has given us, it will show itself in a desire to forgive others. And the trouble is doing that is sometimes hard, isn't it? To forgive someone from the heart. When we've been badly hurt, it can be very, very hard. I had to work on one hurt for years. But it's absolutely essential that we do it. Jesus made the points over and over and over. And he gave a powerful example himself when he was dying on the cross. When he said to those around him, the soldiers and those who had him put to death, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Perhaps some of us need to give up bitterness for Lent. Perhaps starting by just daily going over what Jesus went through to forgive us, thanking him for it, but then spending some time consciously forgiving anyone we can think of who's hurt us. And not just forgiving them, but then asking for God's blessing on that person. That seems to just help us to forgive. And then pray each day as the Spirit brings people to mind so that we bring a sweeter heart to the celebration of Easter. Have any of these points I've highlighted from Jesus' sermon struck you, pointed to something hidden in the recesses of your heart that's interfering with your prayer life? I'll just go over the three again in case you forgot the first two. Being awareness of other people's evaluation of you, pray. Second one was using repetition, formulas, or some other kind of babble, long prayer to try and make God pay attention to you. And then the third one again, nursing a wounded heart rather than forgiving the wounder and opening yourself up to the healing forgiveness of God. Well, I hope that we're able to make this period before Easter, 17th of next month, a time of daily healing towards a purer and richer prayer life. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook.
by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.